Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the, what, uh, 13th week? Is yeah, it now yep. the spring yeah, season? Yes, it is. Alright, cool. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me is Ben. Yo. Larry. Good evening. And Aaron, who is amusing us with uh, gifts of Kana from Maid Dragon. As always, you can find show notes at www.projectharhi.net and also at www.audioentropy.com. Let's get started with Seikai Sura Kado, episode 11, um, where we recruit some people, uh, where like Shindo recruits his friends to make a super sweet and incredibly like sci-fi anime like uh power not power armor really but basically super suit <laughs> yeah it's it's it well yeah it's basically it's an anti-frigonics gadget yes oh god what a dumb sounding name <laughs> But yeah, so he he's putting on a suit to give him uh, special anastropic powers that can hopefully fight against the powers that Zashinina has. Because otherwise, humanity is screwed. Because this episode ends with uh, Kado basically like like literally Katamari damasing the everybody in the city. He's just like. Sweeping on through. Also, we have uh, Zashinina going full Yandere. Oh, yeah. He's like, I. Yeah, he's like, uh, Shindo, I have to have you. And then he, like, murders the copy. Actually, he murders a whole lot of copies. Yeah, he, like, yeah, he, he's made, like, dozens of copies and, like, he just murders them all. Like, uh, man, I I feel, I feel like this sort of weird turn that Zashinina has had hasn't really been earned. Like, it's not that I don't like the idea of this turn, um, because Kudo is certainly a more interesting show now, with like an actual conflict. But I don't, I kind of don't like how they got there. It's kind of just like he's a villain now. Well, that's the thing. Is he really? Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> because, I mean, all right. All right. Well, the thing is, is, well, what's not clear is what actually happens to the human race once everybody ascends to the anisotropic. I mean, kind of regardless of what happens to them, it, it doesn't matter what happens to them. Like, he's forcibly like transforming them without the consent of humanity unlike so i don't someone some spam someone spam is spam calling me great thanks whoever you are from palm desert california um but yeah like previously when he would give anastropic abilities to humanity it would be like with their consent he'd be like hey here's this thing if you want it 
um, try and make it or like watch continue to watch this television show. If you don't, turn it off. Well, um, and even with the one right before, he was like, "Hey, here's this thing you can touch if you want to," and now it's just like my cube's gonna suck you all up. Yeah, that that I think yeah that's where it got excessive. But like yeah, the point where he was using the uh, like he was he was distributing the Nanimus uh, Hind, which was the uh, like uh, which was the supposedly the fourth. The fourth uh, technology, which uh, for some reason they skipped the third one. I don't know yeah, why I, that I was. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, like, so like first was the whams, right? And then yeah, first, second was the like, uh, you don't San- have to sleep anymore. The Sansa. Yeah. And so. then fourth and then fourth was the Nanimus Hine. Yeah, and, so what the hell was but the they third did, one? They didn't, no, they, they, they have not explained what the third one is. Huh. Presumably, presumably he's going to deploy the third one after everybody touches the Nanimus Hunt. After the fourth one, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Which, that's very now, odd. Now you're it's thinking really... non-linearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you're thinking in antistrophic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, also, it's not entirely clear if he's actually... Because another big thing about it is that he... It was very clear to Shindo that, like, yeah, most people probably won't survive this transformation process. And Shindo was like, yo, that's messed up. Uh, and it's not entirely clear that uh, Zashinita has said, like, hey, P.S., not everyone will survive. Like, that he, it, in fact, I'd almost certainly say that Zashinita has kept that part quiet. Uh... So, Fair enough. yeah, he's uh, kind of just in straight villain territory, because he's actively deceiving people and forcing them to convert. Yeah. Yeah, except... And again, like, I don't think it's a bad direction, I just think it's a direction that hasn't really, like, it was like a flip was, a, a switch was flipped, um, and I, I wanted more justification for this kind of heel turn. And again, like, and again, like, I think part of the reason is something that Aaron and I have mentioned before is like, if this dude is a friggin' immortal being, like, can he just like wait a bit? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, can't can he like just be waited... patient with humanity accepting all these powers? Yeah, you've waited millions of years, and now all of a sudden you have to step in and uh, yeah. Just... Well. No, he probably it. he probably didn't even wait. He probably didn't even wait that long. I mean, because uh, I mean, maybe we we don't friggin' know because they never bothered to tell us anything about Zashinita's backstory. Because the uh, right, because the anisotropic is outside of our space time, which means that uh, again, that's only theoretical. Because if that's true, then there's no point in them waiting. I mean. The, the the real question is though, because like I, I'm, so that's one of the weird things is that in the previous episode where we got the backstory for the anastrophic beings, it actually did seem like they experienced the creation of the universe in linear fashion, and it did seem like they also experienced it in, like at least approximately real time. Yeah, we we simply don't know. Yeah, I mean it's it's. It, like what what I've seen suggests that they experience time linearly and to the approximate like uh length that we do, but 
I can't be sure because the anastropic beings are not really fleshed out all that much in terms of like what are they and what can they actually do and how like what are their sort of goals and motivations and what drives them to other than we want information what is is their culture (laughs) do they even have culture which i mean they have clothing so that suggests that they have a culture well no i think the clothing thing was just taken from uh oh yeah possibly yeah it's the same reason he looks like us Well, who who knows, basically. Also, I really don't like the fact that the next episode looks like one big shonen fight. Yeah, I was really hoping. <laughs> I mean, that is sort of the, sort of the, kind of the irony of how how this show has ended up. It's like Shindo is a master diplomat, so the show is going to end with him punching God. I guess. No. What? 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 <laughs> No, what it's going to end with is him fighting fighting God to a standstill so that they can talk. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, yeah, that is probably what's going to happen. Um, also, I did appreciate, because, like, episode... Because remember episode zero and, like, those dudes who made that, like, super metal? And we were like... <laughs> super yeah, metal. I mean, that was... That, and we were like, yeah, that was a nice episode, but, like, how are these guys even relevant? And then they finally show up in episode 11 <laughs> in order to gener- in order to craft um, the hu- human-made Vergonics armor. It's like, oh, yeah, those dudes from the episode zero. It's nice that they got remembered again. Yeah, I like that callback. <laughs> it was nice. Uh, also, I feel, I feel like this is, I, I'm predicting that this is going to end with, like, the scientist girl, like, with the, with the purple hair and the glasses, with, she's going to be the one who becomes an anthropic being. Like, Shindo's gonna, like, Shindo's gonna, like, convince Zashina not to go through with his plan, but then she's gonna be like, but I want to become one. And then Shindo will get what he wants. And the Earth won't be consumed by a crazy alien psychopath. Right. Well, actually, I got a, I got a sense of the anisotropic being's motivations, which is their their motivation is because because they process because they process like and analyze information in forty dimensions. Uh, like nothing ever surprises them, and. So what they're looking for is they're actually looking for, like, something that they could not predict with their 40-dimensional 40 40 dimensional analysis powers. But that's already happened with the humans being humans. Right, so what they want to do is they want to, uh, they want to bring, they want to bring the humans to the anisotropic so that they can interact with them. And have an ongoing and have an ongoing conversation with humanity. But they can already a- interact with humanity, and by turning them into anastrophic beings, the, they'll stop being humanity as the anastrophic beings know them. Which I'm really hoping is like 
what ends up being the thing that convinces Zashinina to stop because it's the only argument that makes sense and yeah. that Zashinina would probably even listen to. I really want it to end, like the final scene to be the uh, the scientist lady like uh, surrounded by people um, at the episode 26 of Evangelion and then just all oh, clapping. Congratulations! Congratulations! Yeah. yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, it just it just end like that. Uh huh. That'd be so good. <laughs> also, I posted uh, two possible cover arts. Oh yeah, the the part where Shindo gets eaten by the cube. <laughs> that was real good. Um, but yeah, uh, how I end up feeling about Kado. I think is going to really heavily depend on how it ends. I kind of like this episode. I give it a four. I'm going to give it a three. Um, yeah, I'll go with three. All right. Let's move on to Alice Tozoroku, episode 12, and I assume bid adieu to Aaron. Silence is golden. You doing episode fourteen when you finish? Uh, yeah, I probably will. All right, let me know when you get on then. All right. So, Alice, kind of. Sane, Sana. Yeah. So, like, there were some nice moments between Sana and. was it Hattori, right? Yeah, Hattori. Yeah. Um, and we find out that the person kind of like making Wonderland do all the dumb stuff it's doing is like the White Rabbit. Uh, and like, there's a lot of stuff I that was entertaining about this episode, but also I felt like the resolution was kind of weird because again like like there's a bunch of bad stuff happening and it's super tense and like right at the end they're like oh no are we actually gonna get out and then the thing that the thing that saves everyone is zoroku just like scolding the rabbit and the rabbit's like oh sorry old man my bad well it's like really well, that's because... Alright, I think this works. This works because of what Wonderland is. And... Wonderland... And because Wonderland is... Essentially... Essentially... Like, Sana. <laughs> you know, so like... Like, everything that happens in Wonderland is an extension of Sana's unconscious will. And, and so, and, and right, so, and, and so it's because, because of her attachment to Zoroku, uh, when Zoroku, you know, scolds, you know, the white rabbit, which is basically, you know, sort of the, you know, a, a, you know, basically a piece of Wonderland. Which is a part of Sana. Which is a part of Sana, and because of that, it you know, it gets through to you know, 
Sana's, gets... Sana's unconscious will, which allows the, uh, you know, what's allows thing to, which allows, you know, Wonderland to, you know, settle down. So, yeah, I, I guess so. I just, I just feel like that would be a little stronger if it was Sana that did the scolding. Yeah, I think the fundamental problem, the fundamental problem with this arc is that I think it ended up in a good place, but the way it was presented, it 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 left it didn't have the impact it should have. I think. Yeah, it, uh, a lot of times it felt like stuff just kind of happened, um, and I don't know I. I suppose from, like, a, a technical sense, like, Sana did have character growth, um, in the sense that she stopped being such a whiny little jerk. Well, she stopped <laughs> uh, being to, a child. To other, to other people. Um, I don't know, I never got... I guess I never got the sense that she ever particularly took control of that development and sort of that I don't I don't ever get the sense that that development really manifested outside of her conversations with Hattori um, and I feel like having her be the one to be like no I reject this place like stop doing this if you know what's good for you <laughs> um would have been better than Zoroku doing it. Like, Zoroku, I, I love him. Like, he should still play a part in that. Um, but I would prefer if he was the... I prefer if he was the one that, who sort of, like, made Sana realize what she had to do rather than being the one to do it for her. Uh... Yeah. I think that's a... I think that's a fair criticism. That's a... I think that's one thing which, uh... I think that's one thing which took away from... Which... It took away from the impact that the uh, that it should have had, and yeah, and like I don't know. I got a sense that I got a sense from like like the way this arc played out that it just there wasn't enough weight to it. Yeah, that's actually what I was just about to mention. Because like this whole episode, you know, Wonderland is supposedly collapsing and things are like happening in the real world and everything's like the people out like the characters are freaking out about things that are happening. But it, I don't feel any tension when I'm watching it. it they, especially with the people wandering around inside Wonderland, it felt very almost like a casual kind of journey. It's like, all right, going to hop over some pancakes now. It's pretty neat, I guess. Pancakes. Sana likes pancakes. It's like, is it the world basically ending as you know it? Like, Well, it, it was Wonderland was trying the to take over the world. Like, where's the urgency here? Like, you'll occasionally get, like, throughout the episode, you, you got, like, brief shots of the people in the secret agency going like, oh, God, everything's falling apart. But then go back to other places, like, yeah, I guess things are happening. (laughs) And I never got a sense for, like, it it never felt like a climax, really. Yeah. Like I said, wasn't enough weight. Yeah, it was real weird. 
Which is which is especially strange because I felt like at the very least the first three or four episodes of Alice did a fairly good job of communicating the the consequences and the urgency of the situations they were put in. <clears throat> but yeah, it feels like after after the whole mini C plot line ended this show is just like, I guess we'll keep going. <laughs> um, yeah. Wonder if they had a writer strike. I, I don't know, but like, it's not a bad show at all. It's just not nearly as good as I was hoping it would be based on those first like three or four episodes. Well, um, it, I was hoping it would take on an Alice and Wonderland theme and it yeah. tried to, but faltered. It spent most of its time, at least after the fourth episode, sort of in the real world and didn't use the, didn't use like the powers to a kind of like real crazy extent until, and even in the last two episodes where Wonderland is taking over, like the powers are basically gone. Like Sana can't use them. Like everything weird that's happening is happening inside Wonderland. So we don't be, we don't even really get any cool action sequences. It's just people wandering through a sort of bizarre fantasy land that's, I guess, sort of um, passively malevolent. Uh, passively malevolent. And even then, not really intentionally malevolent. Yeah, well, uh, well, it's basically it's basically Wonderland having a tantrum. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's that works. it's just it's just there was a lot go there was a lot that Alice could have done, and there was a lot of stuff in there that uh, there was a lot of potential in, that the show had based on how it set up its world and its characters and its powers, and I kind of just I felt didn't utilize any of that to its best extent. Like it it was a fine show. But it could have been way better. Um, so I'd probably, on the whole, give both this episode and the series a three. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I can work through that three. It was okay, but it could have been better. Yeah. It All right. was anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. It, had a ni- it had a nice epilogue, though. Yes. Um, all right, let's move on to Little Witch Academia, where you can definitely not say that this was anticlimactic. Yeah, it was. Well, okay. The thing about the thing about okay, the thing about this episode was it was corny and predictable, and I didn't care because I just loved it. Oh uh, anyway. yeah, no, it it was super corny and predictable in the way that like sort of triggers like all of triggers sort of shown in super shown in endings have been. Well, like I, I, corny and I, predictable. Like kill a kill was corny and predictable. Uh, well, Trigger is the only studio that could have pulled this ending off. Their animation department. It just. It just. It all I wouldn't fit. say the only studio, but they're probably among the best at pulling off this type of ending. Um, and like I, I'd say, and like uh, Gurren Lagann 
is kind of known for this cut for being very corny but also super earnest and lovable in its corniness and earnestness yeah um, and little witch like 1000% channels the spirit of um Gurren Lagann's ending complete with like the the sort of missile being destroyed by everyone working together to make just completely ludicrous magic stuff happen um and also like the the rivals teaming up uh much like in kill a kill uh and also in gurn with viral and simone um the 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 initial rivals teaming up uh to you to combine their powers to save the world uh and kind of cementing their friendship uh and just yeah just a completely over the top battle um and it's just beautifully animated and it even includes a redemption scene for uh croy yeah i guess you can call that a redemption scene yeah it even it even has like it even has a very sort of Tinkerbell-ish moment uh, where, like, the the sort of final battle that Diana and Akko are doing against the sentient missile is being broadcast to the entire world, and it's like, give us your hope and energy and faith. Okay. <laughs> it's like, cheer for these witches to succeed. Yeah. Just give them your positive emotion. Right. That reminds me of the... Uh... That reminds me of the ending of Dragon Ball Z, where everybody, where basically mm-hmm. everybody charges up like, everybody charges up yeah, like a spirit year. bomb against Boo. Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, I love, I love the scene in the second half where they ca- finally catch up to the missile, which is now shooting other missiles at them, and. Diana's like, all right, we got here. Now is your turn, and she like get, goes to the back of the of their um, gigantic broom and slaps Akko in the butt <laughs> to move yep. her forward, and so Akko can grab the shiny arc. Yep. Oh, uh, and they're like combination shiny arc attack and the callback to like the super broom that comes back to save Akko. Yeah, uh, it's so good. <laughs> I was just, yeah, I was just Akko, like Akko X Diana OTP. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yes, the entirety of this episode, I was in a happy place. It's extremely good. Um, Trigger is exceptional at these sort of triumphant, over the top, joyous endings. Uh huh. That they are. <clears throat> Excuse me, that yeah. they are. Yeah, and they also are just so good at leveraging callbacks uh, to their greatest effect. Because, again, like they're calling back to the broom. Um, they're calling back to the rivalry that she initially had with Diana. They're calling back to the very first thing that Akko ever did with the shiny rod, which was to do the shiny arc. Um, but this time, it's like a super shiny arc with this crazy, like, fancy arrow being sh- shot out. 
Um, That's because it, Diana was with her. Yeah. Well, yeah, and okay. And, and the real cool thing is that it even calls back to uh, the uh, to the magic show that Akko was at when she was a kid that stole her magic from her. Because when they finally destroyed the missile, it like explodes into like literally a giant happy face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a bunch of like blue magic butterflies descend into the hands of children to bring magic back to them. Just literally give them their magic back. <laughs> so like she undoes um uh, Shiny Chariot's mistake. Well, and that and that plays into the and that plays into the overall theme, uh, or yeah. one of the one of the overall themes, which is uh, which is learning learning from the mistakes of the past and overcoming yeah. them. And because because if you look at the uh, like the relationship between Akko and Diana. It's kind of a mirror of the relationship between uh, between Chariot and Croy. Yeah, yeah. it's just that Diana, like, it, yeah, it's just that their friendship never got to the point where, and partly because they had, like, good mentors and good friends <clears throat> to stand by them. Like, even with their similar hardships and desires, they never got to the point where their motives were um, tainted and twisted by desperation, you could say. Like, mm-hmm. they, they never reached that point. Um, yeah. Because they had that support. Well, and I think that Diana is just, her personality type would not allow her to do some of the things Croy actually did. I mean, it's maybe, but also at the same time, like we saw Diana's family and how, like, they were perfectly willing to sacrifice their ideals to keep surviving. Oh, that's what Um, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I, I, I feel like that episode with Diana was like meant to sort of, uh, communicate that like yeah Diana could have ended up like this if she didn't have other influences like if she hadn't gone to that school if she hadn't been um, inspired by Chariot to want something like pure and good out of her studies and out of magic like she could have ended up just like that yep like I said it, it, it wasn't in her character type to be that way yeah yeah, like ultimately, it's it's not just who you are, but also who you allow to influence you and who you allow to be in your circle. Well, um, it, it it gets back to a conversation on a semi-different subject we had a long time ago. When children are born, children are not labeled when they are born. They're a product of what happens around them. Yeah. And so, you know, how they handle what, with what goes on around them is what makes them either stronger or weaker throughout life. Yeah, and like as much as I've sort of gone on about um, the sort of uh, more sort of metatextual themes about the show, I think also one of its stronger, more like 
blatant and textual themes is that um is that it takes it takes and like uh, this this is sort of something that happened in Gurren Lagan as well and that you cannot and should not expect to go get through hardships all on your own um and you cannot and should not expect to change the world all on your own because um trying to do that could take you down some very dark paths where you're doing something bad and maybe don't even realize it uh because often it can be tough to tell when you're absorbed in your own thoughts and own ideals that you've gone off the wrong track and so having those other people around you not only to support you and to give you encouragement but also be around to tell you like when you're doing something wrong or you need to rethink your actions and kind of stand up to you like what Akko did with Diana when Diana was like insistent on going back and like being the head of her family and Akko telling her like this isn't like clearly this isn't what you actually want like you are meant for something else um that is crucial too mm-hmm. you're a product of, of yeah of a lot of things and uh, yeah well, it's oh, just I mean, a it, very it, beautiful I mean, and it, uplifting show yeah well, and it it actually went deeper in a lot of places than i thought it would and it didn't deep without being melodramatic it just said look this is how it is this is how it happens deal with it yeah. I, I don't get to say this about a lot of the anime we watch, but I like a hundred percent think that Little Witch Academy is one of the best shows that a parent could watch with their child and to like talk about with their child. Um, because not only is it just fun to watch, even for an adult, but like it has a lot of good and important messages for people as well and for children like and it's extremely accessible um like the violence isn't really all that it's it's very cartoony yeah i mean Um, and there's good messages about and there's good messages about like how even like very good people can make very bad decisions but that doesn't mean that you're lost forever it just means you screwed up and you need to take accountability for it yeah, it, it'd be something that you could even probably set a preschooler in front of and they would understand and comprehend. I mean, maybe, maybe depending on how smart your preschooler is. Let but me yeah, tell you like what, I, some of the preschoolers I ran into recently, I keep, you know, how old are you? But yeah, like, I honestly think this is a super good and, like, useful show to for parents to watch with their kids. Like, that is something I so rarely get to say on this podcast. <laughs> it's something we so rarely run across anymore. Yeah, because you aren't going to be showing, like, your eight-year-old kid, Keijo. That's for dang sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could try showing it, but the knock that comes on the door yeah, after yeah, the kid CPS. goes to school says, Mommy, you showed me this. Yeah, CPS is going to be having a talk with you. It's like, yo... Um, but yeah, no, I, oh, I love, I love Little Witch Academia to death, so I'm giving it a five. Yes, a Series five. of five, and a five, it, uh, bring yeah, on more cores. It's just like, it's, 
like it's well constructed, it's well presented, it works on multiple levels. It's just they were it was just fire on firing on all cylinders throughout its run. Yep. Alright. So let's move on to my Hero Academy, episode twenty-six, where everyone picks out their code names and gets an internship. <laughs> and I like the code name part a whole lot. Surasan, Froggy wins. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, like the the one the my Twitter feed was inundated with people uh, posting the my hero name is froppy scene and also a panel from the manga there there was a lot of twitter posts that were basically say, saying sue is the best and like yeah that's she's certainly a contender for the best um but yeah i i especially loved when baku goes up I'm so glad that they've turned Bakugo from someone who I just could not stand in the first season to someone who's like legitimately hilarious in the second season. I'm so glad they turned they sort of found a way to like balance out his personality in a way that was really entertaining. But like when he goes up there and is like I'm Lord I'm Lord Blast Murder or whatever. <laughs> Lord Explosion Murder. It's like, that's so good. Yeah, and Midnight's like, no. Yeah, that's that's not happening. That sounds like and, a villain name. And, and you know, the, the thing is, is i really glad that Midnight carried over into this. Of course, after seeing the related scene of what, how Eraserhead got named and everything else, I can see why he doesn't want any part of the naming process whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, where like he's like, yeah, where I saw was all, I, I don't know what my name is going to be, and then the dude who has like the microphone powers is all like, you should be called Eraserhead, and I saw was like, all right, fine. Yeah, works for me. Well, it doesn't work well. Uh, yeah. Uh, this this interesting episode. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. expecting some really outlandish names, and actually, on the whole, there wasn't any that outlandish. Invisible Girl I mean, was pretty. She was, was pretty much yeah. There was Lord Explosion Murder. <laughs> no, out of him, we we knew that was coming. Yeah, but we we I mean his his personality type is you know. Hack blood, kill hate. I did really love the flashback scene where it shows Deku and his mom, <laughs> and Deku's like, uh, "I came up with a bunch of names for what I'd be when I get my quirk. Please read them off for me because I can't decide which one." And they're all like variations of All Might. Yeah, <laughs> and he's wearing like his little All Might costume, and it's the best thing. <laughs> Yeah, I was. Yeah, I mean, this was. I mean, for the most part, this was a transitional episode. Oh yeah, definitely. But, but it was uh, it was great fun. Uh, Ida's the character that I'm worried about. Yeah, because uh, yeah, right. I yeah, because uh, like the business with uh, Stain and his brother. It's taking him to a really dark place. Yeah. 
exceptionally dark. I I also like the um sort of like the people who ended up using their their first names, right? Which is Ida, who used Tenya, Midoriya, who used Deku, and Todoroki, who used what was it again? Shoto. Shoto, yeah. So th- those three who ended up using their first names, which is like, yeah, like those are the ones who. Well, no, well, okay, um, well, no, Deku actually, Deku was not his first name. I mean, because no. oh right, because Midoriya's yeah, real it's, first it's a... Midoriya's real first name is Izuku. Deku was okay. the uh, Deku was the it... nickname that Bakugo gave him when they were kids. Oh, that's yeah, why he was. Right. That's why okay. he was. That's why he was fuming at the end when it, when. He announced what his name was going to be. That's why he was sitting there and steam was pouring off of him. Okay, yeah, you're right. I totally forgot. That was so right. long ago. I totally right. forgot. Right, I mean, because the, and the thing about it, is, and that's actually very significant. Uraraka turned it into something good. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, because originally Bakugo meant that nickname as an insult. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah that uh, that was brought up last season somewhere along the line. But yeah, yeah. I'll, go ahead. Yeah, that was good. I also really like when they are going over the the um, internships, and uh, and Iraq is like, "Yeah, I've already decided." And they're like, "Oh, cool. Who are you intern- interning with?" Gunhead. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Wait, really?" <laughs> uh, which is which is super good. <laughs> Yeah, she says, you know, I need to, I need to balance my strengths and weaknesses here. It's like, yeah, uh, I, I like how Uraraka has a super pragmatic approach to being a hero. That's what we're calling that. Okay. Yeah. Um, just shy, just shy of a death wish. <laughs> well, no, it's. I mean, because what she's, yeah, <laughs> she's. Because, uh, like, her fight with, uh, because, I mean, she fought, she explains that her fight with, uh, her fight with Bakugo showed her, like, you know, where she was lacking. And yeah. so, yeah. and so she was going to use that internship as an opportunity to, uh, address that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. The little lady got her tail kicked. And good. But she learned yeah. from it. Yeah, it shows that, like... Deku isn't the only one with the drive to like really push themselves out of their comfort zones in order to like be the best hero. Like, like Ida is doing it. Uraraka is doing it. It's just that it's just that they aren't the main. They aren't like the focus character. They aren't the main character, so we don't really get as much of their internal monologue. But they're just as driven. As Deku is to like make the most out of themselves and to wouldn't Uraraka be the heroine? Oh yeah, certainly. But like we again, yeah, we don't get we don't really get Ida or her or Uraraka's internal monologue that much because like again, like the framing of this show is that this is a story being told by Deku of how he became the greatest hero. Ah yes, I keep forgetting that small part. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I love when All Might shows up and he's like, Deku, I'm sorry, you do actually have someone who's giving you an internship. 
as my former mentor, and he's like super scared. <laughs> it's like Gran Torino, and Deku's like, "Man, this dude must be tough if even All Might is scared of him." <laughs> and he's just like, and then like he shows up at the house, and Gran Torino just seems to be this like weird senile old man. <laughs> hey, 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 let's watch this old stuff here. Well, I know, but like literally, I know. he appears I'm, I'm, to be senile. Yeah, well, but of course, there's clearly more that's going to be going on. He's definitely going to be a sort of like Yoda, Mister Miyagi type, but more I mischievous. Never, yeah, I, I never looked at it that way, but you could be correct. Anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode five. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. very good. I agree with that five. Let's see, so where are we going next? We are going to Eccentric Family, episode 12, uh, where one of my predictions came true and one of them didn't. But the sort of one that I was more, that I cared about more is the one that ended up happening. Because uh, ultimately, um, Ben 10, I actually kind of liked the decision to have Ben 10 like, not really grow as a character because it kind of makes sense that like all this stuff would happen to her and she'd learn nothing Um, pretty much got put in her place this episode yep I mean both her and the daime like both of them uh, like you could argue that Banten got shut down more but ultimately like Nadaime, like, his entire house got wrecked. Um, and he's clearly battling with some unresolved issues. He has uh, some with, with someone he met in the past. Then his charming father ran off. Yeah, yeah I, right, because yeah, and Benton sort of, I guess, brings that out of him. Well, if yeah. you look at the, the silhouette, I mean, change the hair color and the general appearances, yeah, you could c- confuse them. Yeah, I think, that's, like, I, I think that's what aggravates him the most, is every time he looks at Benton, he sees the other woman. Yeah, and so, like, as as much as Nadaime and Benton like to pretend that they, that they are the proper ones, that they're the intelligent ones, that they're the mature ones... Ultimately, they're the ones who, in this show, that are completely unable to move past their problems and their conflicts. Those Their conflicts never get resolved. And sure, like they beat the crap out of each other, but that doesn't end up doing anything. Yeah, are they it's just, just the living. It's in... just temporary. Yeah, they do the living in the past bit, and that's all the further they get. They, they can't yeah. let go and, and move on. Yeah, whereas Yasuburo, the fool, like, when Benten is finally, when Benten is defeated again, and he goes to her house to, like, kind of try and comfort her, that's when he realizes, like, there's nothing I can do for her. There's there's nothing really anyone can do for her. Um, And that's when he finally is like, I just I need to move on. I just need to let her go, and he yep. does. Yep. 
and uh, yeah, and he ends up with Kaisei. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, uh, and, and which and they meet, and they meet, uh, they meet Yasuburo's grandmother. Right. I mean, of course, you know, the uh, you know, <clears throat> Yasuburo ending up with Kaisei is something like that. The show's been building, building up towards the whole season. Yeah, it was clearly something that was going to happen. It was just a question of, like, how was it going to happen, given how their character arc started. Um, but I think it, I think they got to that point very well. Um, I also really like the scene with... Uh, is it uh, Yajiro is the older brother? Was it Yashiro? Well, okay. Uh, Yaichiro is the uh, is the oldest brother. Who's the Yaichiro? Uh... That's the one, the eldest brother. <clears throat> the the scene with his wedding with uh, Gyokuran. Yes. And how he's super worried that his tail's gonna pop out, and they're just like, "Look, it's fine. Just let your tail pop out. As long as you're confident, no one's gonna care." <laughs> and then Gyokuran comes out in her wedding outfit, and yet there is the tail. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, wedding outfits have a tendency to do that every once in a while. Uh. But yeah, um, and yeah, the the scene with uh, Kaisei and Yasuburo is super good, um, and it's well, really adorable. And the conversation they have with his grandmother is really adorable. And ultimately, this just had a really satisfying ending. And it's like not every character's conflicts get resolved, but the ones that do and the ones that don't, like everything makes sense. Um, everything feels right about how this ended. Yeah, so, although you know the the older Tengu walks up after the wedding and says, "Well, I'm glad to see you guys are getting together because all you guys are good for is making little ones. So go make little oh, ones." Yeah. <laughs> it's like have babies. It's like, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, the, the the one thing that uh, like, okay, yeah, the, the ending for uh, the ending for Tenmaya and Soon, that was kind of that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, yeah, find find them in the cage. That's well, okay, like, all right, the bit where like you know Soon uh, turns on Tenmaya after like after he finds out that Tenmaya shot Kaisei. That was fine, but then like like the demon reaching the demon like uh, reaching out and like taking them taking them both to hell. I was like, what, what was up with that? Well, see, it, I actually kind of like, like that. Yeah, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's at least in the moment it was like, but. Hey, but like on reflection, on reflection, it made sense because uh, I mean, because Ten and Son were people who had uh, cheated death before. Yeah, and like I'm pretty sure Benten herself had been threatening. Was it Benten? Uh, I can't remember, but they they had been threatened with hell before, like before this action scene even started. So it was yeah, it was Benten, yeah. Yep. Like she had, she had straight up been saying, like, you know, I might just send you to hell. Like, I, I've still got that painting. Mm. And she does indeed open the door. <clears throat> yeah. So, 
Right. So in a way, uh, she did save. She did save the day. Sort of. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Anyway, I was. I. So I'm just waiting for the next season. That's what I'm waiting for. Uh, I, I don't know. Did the uh, did the author write another book? <laughs> That's a good question. Because. Oh, that's because uh, the original the original source for this was uh, was a series of novels. Oh, well, you know they they do something around here called anime original. Oh, I hope not. That oh, some some of them have been okay. You're right. Like there's if, some of them. There's some of them that have. Well, I I, I'd be I'd be super skeptical of an anime original eccentric family, to be perfectly honest, because like. The dialogue and the writing is something that um, is sort of what makes this show for me. So if, it, if it's it's not adapted from one of, uh, oh, God, hold on a second. If it's not adapted from one of uh, Tomihiko Morimi's novels, then like I'd be, I'd real, I'd really wonder about it. Okay, well I just had to throw that out there because you know I do that occasionally. Yeah, generally they don't do like. Yeah, generally they don't do uh, you know, filler seasons based on novels. Uh, it does say a third novel is planned on Wikipedia. Hmm. Yeah, cause um, the very first novel was published in two thousand seven. The sequel um was published in twenty fifteen. So who knows when the next one is going to be released? Which is why it, which it is, takes him. It takes him eight dang years to make one. Yeah. Hey, some of us like writing slow. Got a problem with that? <laughs> yeah, we got, got these real got life some, things. Got a regular George R. R. Martin up in here. Yeah. Oh, great! My dogs are barking. Cool. That's all right. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I I really enjoyed I really enjoyed this show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I'm giving this episode and the series as a whole a five. Yes, I'll give it a five. Exactly. All right, the Baha 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 Soul, uh, specifically Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul, episode twelve. <coughs> yeah. So, uh, Rita, the great breakout artist. Yeah, so and our hand. heroes finally escape. Uh, yep. The parties meet up. Um, Kaiser and Jean um, make goo eyes at each other. Rita tells them there's no time for this nonsense. Yeah, it's like you can you can you can kiss later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, and then I guess a little thing, uh, and I guess a little war happens. Yeah, a little. Yeah, they, and, the th- and the humans get thir- and the humans slash their conscripted demon army gets thoroughly trounced. Or so far, they're getting tr- they're getting trounced. Except that the king orders uh you know orders them to deploy his secret super weapon, yeah, which yeah. Which, who yeah, knows? which is apparently a giant, like, when it pops up, when, like, when we get actually, like, yeah, so, what I like about 
this show is that things that are set up previously um, kind of lead into each other <laughs> in really like sort of nice ways where you go like, oh, that's why that was happening. So, for example, when uh, Nina Fritz gets sent to prison, she gets like sent to the underground prison where she's made to do manual labor. And when we see that, we're like, we sort of just inherently understand. It's like, oh yeah, okay, of course. Like, uh, prisoners being used for free manual labor, breaking bricks. Yeah, we've seen all that before. But no, it's not just that. Because it turns out they were helping to work on this super super weapon that gets deployed in this episode. And it's just, like, I love it when details of the world tie into the narrative in like ways that make sense and like ways that build off build off like previous things it's like it's it's not necessary but it's it, it makes the world feel like a living breathing thing yeah i kind of like an a team episode i love it when a plan comes together yeah uh <clears throat> i love it when uh a plan that the heroes make kind of just works in spite of everything bad happening. Like when Tina, well, sorry, like when Nina falls into a minecart. <laughs> well, the the part the, the part that I loved was when uh, was Favaro's Favaro's breakout plan. That was so good. Yeah, where he's like, "Okay, Kaiser, take off your hand," and Kaiser's like, "What?" It's like, "Just do it, okay." Move this finger, move this finger, move this... Oh, and it's going to go boom, so duck! Yeah, and Kaiser's like, wait, what? It's like, dude, step away from the hand. <laughs> and it explodes. And this then... A... And then Kaiser's like, wait, like, why... I'd appreciate next time if you could give me a hand that doesn't explode. And Favreau's like, look, it wasn't my idea. Rita did it because she was worried about you. He's like, she gave me exploding hand because she was worried about me? <laughs> Yeah, she figured you'd get yourself in a bind you couldn't get yourself out of. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, that was such a wonderful little joke there. The chemi- and so, you know, the chemistry between Favreau, Kaiser, and Rita is just top-notch. Honestly, the chemistry between all the main characters is just super good. Yes. They and, all have, know, like, very distinct personalities that play off each other fantastically. Sorry, Larry, go ahead. And, and you know, somewhere <laughs> along the line here, shortly, after they get off the monster thing and, and whatever, that Kaiser's going to go to Rita and go, what? I'm, I'm, who? That, that should yeah. be interesting, too. Yeah, he's going to go, like, Rita, what the hell, yo? <laughs> it's like, you don't like me anymore? <laughs> what? Well, yeah, I mean, so, like... <laughs> well, actually, she, uh... You know, actually, she's been using uh, she's been using Kaiser's old hand as a pet the entire season. Yes. Yeah. So, like, clearly, Rita does uh, have a lot of affection for Kaiser. It's just that Rita's Rita, so she has a very bizarre way of showing it. <laughs> that only yeah. really makes sense to her. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I. So at the end of the episode, this giant de- like this giant device comes up, and it looks a lot like. Yggdrasil, honestly. Okay. Or I should say, it, lo- it looks like a lot of fantasy depictions of Yggdrasil, because it's this huge-ass tree with, that's, like, holding a globe. 
Yep. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what this weapon is supposed to do. Um, but man, uh, this show has just become like consistently fantastic. Well, you know, when it first started, we were kind of hoping, you know, hey, wait a minute, uh, a lot of the characters, and it took forever yeah. for Favreau to show up, and then all of a sudden it's like, click, click, click. Yeah, we were really, we, yeah, we yeah. were really skeptical when it started because it's like, eh, yeah, Bob, it was good, but it kind of ended not so great. It's like, eh. but yeah. like, man, it has become one of, like, aside from Little Witch and My Hero, like, uh-huh. it's become like my favorite thing to watch. Like, I'm <clears throat> always super stoked when a new episode comes out. I, uh-huh. yeah, it which it's it's amazing how well it's been it's constructed yeah i and for me like structure is one of the most important things yeah and like the fact that it's based off of like a free-to-play mobile game is just one more and it's just one more part of like like one more notch in the how the hell is did this even happen why is this so good well, okay, like... <laughs> yeah, it's nominally based on a mobile game, but it's basically yeah. it's basically an original. Yeah, it's pretty much its own thing at this point. Yeah, like it's it's taking characters from the mobile game, but yeah, it's it's basically just doing its own thing now. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's become just a really really good show. Uh, so I give this episode a five, and honestly, like. Well, I guess I guess it's not done yet, so nope, nope. I won't rate the whole season. Yeah, nope. uh, not yet. Yeah, see, gonna you get, in, see you in September. Yeah, it's going to go for another core, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I'm giving, oh, yeah, this, I'm I, giving I, this episode a five. Most definitely a five. Most definitely. All right. Well, so see. that does it for our reviews, but I do have a question from a listener, actually, and um, I decided to put that he, he kind of addressed it just to me uh, on Twitter, but I want to throw it out to the group because my memory is awful. I, I, I totally forgot to ask this when Aaron was on because I feel like he could have helped too, but uh, I have a question from uh, Dory Mingu on Twitter. Uh, who asks, uh, I've been watching Kato at the same pace as you guys and the rest of BakaCast, but I know I, uh, but I know I might be an episode behind. Either way, did, uh, uh, he says Yahakui, I think he means Zashinina. Yes. Uh, ever return that, did he ever return that plane? When they moved the cube, I don't remember seeing it pop back into existence. I mean, in the grand scheme of things for the world, one plane isn't a big deal, but that's still a perfectly working $1,000 vehicle. I'm guessing a lot more than $1,000 for that plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Larry, confirm? It confirm. Yeah, yeah $1,000 won't even get you more. a good... Yeah, $1,000 won't even get you a good set of headsets anymore. But yeah, <laughs> so, Ben, did did he ever give back that plane? Not that I recall. <laughs> Yeah, all he did, all, just kept that sucker. Yeah, all he did was, uh, yeah, he just sent the people out through uh, through Kato. Yeah, he just stole that plane. <laughs> that plane's Dang. in his like anastrophic yeah. museum now. 
<laughs> and the airline Perfect. company's probably out several million dollars. Uh, hundred million, yeah. It's uh, dang. It sounds like aircraft repossessors. Amazing. <laughs> but hey, everybody got free energy now, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Since I'm not keeping up with it, I'm kind of in the dark here, but that's normal for me, too. I like being in the dark. Uh, so, let's see. So, all right. Yeah, so, there, so I believe that's the only question we had. Uh, come on. Unless you can think of anything else. Well, we could talk about some of the other shows that we watched this season. Oh, yeah, yeah I guess that's true, since it is could. the end. Like, Ben, Larry, you can do a brief over, do some brief reviews of this other stuff you checked out that I didn't bother with. Uh, well, you were quite busy this season. Yeah, actually, I've, I've, <laughs> I've like, relative to previous season, I've, actually not been watching as much. Um, like, there's uh, still a whole bunch of shows that I am behind on that I have not caught up with. But Ah, uh-huh, he said. Yeah, uh, but, let's see. I did, I, I have mostly been keeping up with, uh, uh, with Recreators and Boruto, which are going to be continuing con- into next season. Uh, and Boruto is actually really interesting because, uh, it's not just a retread of Naruto. They're, like, they're, they've been exploring different themes and character dynamics. Uh, and... Would you say it's... Like about the same in terms of quality, or like a or like a noticeable improvement over the writing quality of the original Naruto. Um. Well, okay. The original Naruto had wildly uneven levels of quality. It's kind of in the middle. Or, it's kind of in the middle. Or I guess, or I guess more accurately, like, art. Uh, uh, like, sort of. Do you have experience with what the level of writing quality was for Naruto at like the end of Shippuden? Let's say. Um. Actually, I stopped following Shippuden. Uh, I've stopped sh- following Shippuden after a while. Although I did right. keep up with the manga, and even the manga, even the manga, kind of uh, had some had some serious weaknesses towards the end. Yeah. So, be- so best on- so based on its quality, kind of when you stop watching it, would you say that Boruto is a noticeable improvement? Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely way ahead of like the weaker the weaker parts of Naruto. I don't think it's quite reached the heights of like Naruto at Naruto at its best. But it's up there. And it's uh definitely better than average. Uh <clears throat> because like Yeah, like it's like thematically what they're doing with it is you know, because, like, the original Naruto, like, the themes that it explored, you know, it's like, you know, about a kid trying to, you know, you know, sort of, like, get, uh, you know, find his place. Uh, and, 
you know, and to, you know, get, you know, and to, like, get respect and, you know, become a better person. And there's some of that in Boruto, but it starts from a different, a different place. Because, like, like, in the, in the, in the beginning, like, the original Naruto, he was just, like, a nobody who, you know, although he had, like, great potential, he had, you know, he had to, you know, fight to, like, achieve his potential. And in this one, Boruto is actually starting out, like, already, like, you know, already, he's, like, the son, of, he, you know, he's the son of the Hokage. So, like, you know, it's like his father, like, actually runs the town. Um, and so he has to live up to those expectations. And that forms a different, a different kind of pressure on him. And he's become, he's like a very different person. Huh. <laughs> you know, and so like, yeah, so, so that, so he has to, so Boruto has to deal with like different, different issues than the original Naruto did. And it's very interesting the way it's playing out. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see they're at least trying to do something different with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I also finished, uh, I finished, uh, like, uh, uh Akashic Records of Bastic, Bastard Magic Instructor, and it definitely ended better than it started, because it started really rough. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it got better as it went along. Although it still had issues with, uh, with uh, its, uh, it still had issues with its pacing, because the way it was structured, they it looked like they adapted four novels in twelve episodes, which makes the pacing way too fast. Uh, so like, yeah, that sounds really rushed. Yeah, so so they they rushed through a whole lot of stuff, and so like there were. So a lot of things which could, which like if they if they'd actually like developed them further and like given them space to breathe would have had more impact. And like, cause like, okay, so like, there's this arc in the middle, like in the middle in the middle of the series, where like you know the you know like the main character is this teacher who's been assigned to this class of magic students, and. So in this one arc, he has to, like, you know, he's training them to uh, take part in this tournament. Except except what happens in the arc is the tournament sort of forms is kind of, like, not really, not really focused upon. Instead, it's focused on this other issue, and, like, the tournament kind of takes a backseat to, like, the main, the main thrust of the story. And I think they really missed an opportunity. Hmm. Because, you know, because one of the things that was really, that was actually really cool about, like, what they did in the tournament was it showed, like, how the students had gotten stronger from this guy teaching them. And, you know, so it shows, so, like, so, like, in these episodes, it cuts to, like, you know, the students actually, like, holding their own and even doing really well in this tournament. And I wish they'd focused on that more. Uh... So yeah, there was that. I would give I would overall give the series a three. 
All right. Uh, anything else? <clears throat> uh, yeah, Berserk. Berserk still a pro- still problematic. Like, yeah, it's the uh, I've seen some stuff. Like it looks <laughs> like, yeah, like the animation, and the direction are just awful. But like the yeah. story's really good, and the you know the characters are really cool. But yeah, which again seems like more of an advertisement to just tell people like, look, just read the manga, okay? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really frustrating because. Like if they'd actually put some, if they'd actually done better with the animation, could have been so much better. Yeah, that that does seem like a shame. Yeah. Oh well. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And the royal tu- the uh, the royal tutor was kind of like it, they they went with like an anime original ending for the last two episodes. Which was okay, but not really great. Uh, and the overall like direction of the show was kind of problematic. I mean, like, like the idea of like this tutor like teaching these spoiled princes like how to be better princes was kind of cool. And I really and I actually like the interactions between the teacher and the princes were actually really good. The problem is, is that, the problem is, is that, like, like, he's teaching these princes, like, how to compete for being king, which seems to be a very bad idea, because you're gonna have, like, five five princes who, like, all of them could be good kings, except now they're gonna fight over who gets to be king. That seems like a recipe for a civil war coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like they could be fun. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I give that series. A, I overall I give the series a three. All right. Cool. Uh, is there anything else left? Uh, yeah, just what I wandered through, but it's it's the only. Th- I guess the only one that uh, Ben and I both watched Clockwork Planet, and it was okay. <laughs> yeah that's another it's another that was another three show uh frame arm girls was uh this is what happens when you're not quite talented but you put the model together right and they say oh you must be talented because you got this thing to work and nobody else did so let's send you a whole bunch of other ones and you can play with them and find out that they have their own artificial it went on for there and then uh Aramanga sensei this is a harem where, yeah, he's got a harem, but his sister controls the harem. It's, it's the sister who's not his biologically, of course, sister. But, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. you, know, you, you wouldn't want it to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's one of those ones that if you want to see how, and these are by the same people who did Oremo. So, in fact... Uh, characters from Oriemo appear in this just because we're lapping things together. And yeah, some of the situations are um, uh, interesting. 
it goes it doesn't quite go the step further that Oriemo went but it wouldn't take much for it to fall off the deep end well, it could be getting there next season who knows yeah well it uh yeah it's it's definitely a candidate for the DVD sales so far look great and so it's probably a candidate for showing up again uh on a uh, small screen near you uh <laughs> And then oh, yeah. I finished uh, Sugimono. It was okay. I finished Suka Suka, but Ben hasn't, so uh, he and I will talk about that later. But uh, Suka Suka goes places I I haven't been in a long time. I'm uh, trying to no. remember. Let's see. Oh, yeah, I'm also following Adam the Beginning, which is a, a prequel to Astro Boy. And oh, yeah, I, I saw that. It's 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 really interesting the way it's the way they're doing it because it's showing like you know it's showing like the creators of Astro Boy as like graduate students who are developing this prototype robot. You know you know, you know like so they're developing the technology that will eventually be put into Astro Boy. Uh, and you know. And so it's really cool showing, like, you know, showing this development process. And, like, now, like the robot they have is really awesome. I was going to say, what time period? Is this a modernized version, or is this still... Well... You know, is, this, is the setting when Astro Boy was originally done, like, back in the 60s, or... Well, no, I mean, they... it's, it's set in... I mean, well, okay, the... You know, like, the original, the manga is, you know, came after Astro Boy, uh, but, uh, and it's set in, like, it's set, like, in the near future, after, like, after, like, after the, some, like, catastrophe, uh, where, and, uh, like, some, like, rapid development of robot technology, in which, so, like, because, like, Rebuilding after this catastrophe has basically forced people into like really leaning into robot technology. So, with it set in the near future, it doesn't have all the tropes the original Astro Boy did just because of the time it was created. Yeah, like the designs are kind of more modern, but still having some of like the aspects of the you know the original like Tezuka characters, like the okay. nose, like the noses. So like uh, like so like a bunch of the characters that like you know have like these weird you know cartoony noses. Yep. Uh, I I am a, a quiet Astro Boy fan because it was one of the few things that uh, you know was like wow this looks like it could be neat it's a little hokey but it could be neat so yeah I'm glad to see that. I think we're done, boss. All right, cool. Let's. Go ahead and wrap this up, the basically final episode of the spring season. Sure, we've got Kato to talk about tomorrow, but eh, whatever. Um, so yeah, that'll be it for this episode of BakaCast. If you have questions or comments, please leave them at www.projectharahi.net or at www.audioentropy.net.com. IOGP.com. Or follow me on Twitter at Stills the GM. And follow me on Twitter at DeathSlinky. 
Ben, yeah. follow Justin? me at Project Horror. He just fill in the blanks. Yeah, just yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't. Yeah, just just yeah. Leave leave Larry alone. He just Larry <laughs> just wants to live his life. No, no, no. You can leave comments there. Just address <laughs> them to me. I, I remember who I am. Some days. Other days it's a little more difficult. Go ahead, guys. Sorry to interrupt. No problem, Ben. Dustin. Three, two, one. Kirbush. Uh, as is last week, it holds true this week. Watching anime is better than watching broadcast television. See you later. <laughs>